you're listening to Shoot the Hostage. I'm Sarah. And I'm Dan. We're a movie-obsessed couple that delves into a different film each week based around a theme. This season the theme is Aliens, and we're covering eight extraterrestrial-themed movies. Shoot the Hostage contains explicit language and mature content, as well as major spoilers for the chosen film. We really hope you enjoy listening and stick around. So season three, week three, it's week three, isn't it? Yeah, season three, episode three. Episode three, we're covering 2016's Arrival. Yeah, boy. Directed by one Denis Villeneuve. One of the greats. I think so. One of the greats. Certainly one of the greats what are working today. An auteur, one might say. Yeah. So 2016, Mm -hmm. I was very excited to go and see this movie at the cinema. Did you see this at the cinema? I didn't. I watched it on a plane. Which was not the the ideal environment. The best way to experience an epic (laughs) sci-fi drama? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Sci-fi drama? Yeah. That's what I would say. So you saw it on a plane. I saw it at the cinema. And as I said, couldn't be more excited. Was Mm -hmm. really happy to watch this. At that point, I'd seen, I guess, Sicario and Prisoners. Yeah. Oh, Prisoners is such a good movie. I I, I really like Sicario, Mm -hmm. but I think Prisoners is a masterpiece. Yeah. Particularly of that genre. I think of that kind of gritty thriller genre that might be my favorite the genre of jake gyllenhaal having white power haircuts and looking <laughs> perplexed and sad yeah i'm i'm here for it the genre of paul dano being an oddball <laughs> um oddball is one way to phrase it but i'll uh i'll hesitate to spoil mm, that movie if you haven't true. seen it we could- we're not here to spoil prisoners we're here to spoil arrival yes speaking of which so 2016 we mentioned we spoke when we covered Predator a few weeks ago. We spoke mm-hmm. about 1987 being a really good year. Yeah. 2016 wasn't bad either. Look I've at- got um, short-term memory loss, so you're going to have to remind me. What made 2016 so good? Okay. So Captain America Civil War. Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I do yep. like that movie. It's a good flim. Fl- flim? It's a good flim. Flim. <laughs> I'm speaking in an alien language for some of this podcast. Sarah will be speaking in alien squid for the rest of the show. <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, one we've already covered, Hello High Water. That was 2016. Oh, hell yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Deadpool. Yep. Excellent. Excellent and- addition to the subversive uh, superhero subgenre. <laughs> yes. The Nice Guys, which I okay. think is great. Fun film, yeah. Mm. Train to Busan. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. The Void. The Void is one of my modern horror favorites. Underrated movie? Um, Within the horror community, I think it's just rated. Yeah. But for wider audiences, probably underrated, yeah. Yeah. What else you got? Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, yeah. Taika Waititi. Uh, Another Paul Dano movie. Oh, no. What this time? (laughs) Guess guess which one it is. 2016? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, Swiss Army Man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was the fine that did it. Yeah. And Hacksaw Ridge, which... I haven't seen that. I love it. I think it's an excellent movie. Would I like it? See? No. <laughs> I, th- I think you would. The problem that I have with it is that it was directed by Mel Gibson. Oh, gross. No, I'm not uh, interested. The, the more time goes on and the things he chooses to align himself with, 
I just, I mean, he's been problematic for decades, obviously. The alcoholism I can get on board with. The yeah. anti-Semitism, <sighs> not so much. No, definitely not. Yeah. But I, th- I feel like the longer time goes on, the more I'm just sort of put off by his movies. Yeah. And to the point where I can't even really watch Mad Max anymore. Luckily, we have Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> that exists in the world now. Yes. So, so taking it back to the old school, because I'm an old fool who's so cool. Oh, good Lord. Um, Dan's got bars. <laughs> just, you just said that on Catfish. <laughs> I'm cool. I know what that means. So this was nominated for eight Oscars. It was, yeah. But none of them were acting Oscars, were they? Let me just... It was nominated for quite a lot of awards. No, none of them are acting ones. Yeah, yeah. which eight. surprises me because Amy Adams particularly kind of carries this movie. Yeah, she's great in this. This yeah. is my favourite Amy Adams performance. Same, I think, yeah. Maybe her best movie? Maybe, yeah. Apart from Drop Dead Gorgeous, obviously. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, so nominated for eight Oscars. It won one for Best Sound Editing. I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> um, Some superb mouth foley there. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it was also nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, again, I can see why. Best Director. Yep. Best Film Editing. Okay. Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, yeah. It's two in a row that have been based on a book. Mm. Best Sound Editing, which we've mentioned. Best Sound Mixing. Okay. Best Production Design. I can see that. Best Cinematography. Yeah, it's uh, the cinematography is unusual because it's so dreary, but it is excellent. It does work. I, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll get to this. I did miss Roger Deakins' influence mm. in this movie quite a bit, but it did still look great, not to undermine what the DOP did on this one. But I think that year, uh, 2017 Oscars, was the year of La La Land. Everybody loves Ugh. fucking La La Land. And- I've never seen it and I don't care I to. Do, I, do you know what? Like, it's really hard to judge films that you haven't seen. And you shouldn't really. No. But there are some films that I see in the zeitgeist and I just know they're not for me. Yeah, and same. A, a film about dancing and jazz could not be further away from what I would consider entertainment, actually more towards leaning towards the torture side of things. <laughs> Which is curious because you're a big fan of both Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. I know. And if even they don't sway you to be able to watch it, then yeah. there's no hope. And Damien Chazelle as well. I, I think he makes oh, yeah. fantastic movies. Yeah, Babylon That's, was great. Yeah, I enjoy Babylon I enjoy more Babylon. than most. Yeah. The budget for this was $47 million, which Okay. Is money well spent, I think? Yeah. If you if you compare it to the mega budget films that have been coming out in the last couple of years, then yes. Yeah, I know. It's, I always think this, like 47 million is a lot of money. It sounds like such an astronomical number, it's, but when you compare it to the two, 300 million that are being spent yeah. willy-nilly these days on just studio dumps. Just green screen nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's green screen is something that Villeneuve has a real issue with. Oh, does which it? Which we, we'll probably get into that. It grossed 203 million worldwide. So it was a, wow. a big success. Yeah. Eight Oscars. Everyone loved Oscar it. Oscar noms. Eight Oscar nominations, <laughs> a big pun. Won one of them and everybody loves it. Yeah. So before we get into talking about the movie, mm-hmm. have you got a little synopsis? I have a very short one from Letterboxd. Yes. All right, well, should I do some filler while you're finding it? No, no, I have it. I'm prepared, how dare you? So, taking place after alien crafts land around the world, an expert linguist is recruited by the military to determine whether they come in peace or are a threat. Succinct. We like succinct. 
alternative synopsis. Oh God, here we go. Is this going to be a thing now? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. It's not as good as my Man and What Fell to Earth one, so don't get you too excited. You haven't shoehorned Bowie song titles into this one, have you? No, maybe I should. Maybe that should be the thing. <laughs> get Bowie songs in every single one. Alien squids travel to Earth on SpaceX to have a chit chat and make Louise remember the future. <laughs> Spoilery, but yes. Right? Yeah. Well, we did give a spoiler warning at the top of the show, so... No, I know, but if that was the synopsis... I, well, I'm not writing them for, like, media outlets. This is just for, <laughs> for us, between us and our three listeners. It's a good job, because I don't think media outlets would pick that up. Crew. <laughs> Denis Villeneuve, French-Canadian. Mm-hmm. Ensemble. Sicario. Yeah. Prisoners, which we've mentioned already. Polytechnic. Polytechnic. Enemy. I nearly said enema. Before the incident there. Enemy. <laughs> Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. The super. Don't you dare. Don't you fucking dare. That's controversial in this house. It's a fucking good movie. It is a fucking good movie, but the original Blade Runner doesn't have Jared Leto in it. So for that reason alone, it wins. I think Blade Runner 2049 is better than Blade Runner 1, despite having Jared Leto in it. That's a bold claim, Dan. I know. It's that good. Obviously, Arrival June and the upcoming June sequel. Yeah. Upcoming, but pushed to next year now. Yeah. I think you said this earlier, but I really think he's one of the best directors working today. I was going through his list and it's all banger and banger and banger. It really is. There is not one miss. I think the closest comparisons that I have in terms of filmmakers that I've become familiar with in the past five to 10 years, Mm -hmm. not to say that they weren't around before that, but since I've noticed them, Yorgos Lanthimos, he keeps making bangers, are going through the, li- the list of movies that he's made. And I've seen most of them recently, but they're <laughs> all like four star movies. You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> Ribbon Ostland, you know, people oh, like that yeah, that are okay. a bit more interesting. Um, and then obviously you've got your classics like PTA and Nolan yeah. and, and all of those people. But I think honestly, like Villeneuve has cemented his place as one of the all-time greats, I think, with some of the stuff that he's put out. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. You know I do. But I think I I think I like Villeneuve more. Really? Yeah. I think he's got a stronger vision. Yes. I, I mean, I agree. I'm definitely more of a Villeneuve head than I am a PTA head. I do yeah. like a couple of PTA films quite a lot. I wouldn't necessarily go and revisit them very often. Yeah. Well, I mean, so many of them have like a really intimidating running time. So yeah. it's it's not often I want to sit down and, you know, indulge in a three hour movie. Yeah. Written by Eric Heiserer. He adapted the novella into a screenplay. Okay. It was based on a novella. I didn't, I should have said that first really, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Do you was... know who wrote the novella? Yes. oh i'm supposed to be filibustering now am i it was based on a novella by ted chang called stories of your life which was released in 1998 oh okay i don't know why i kind of presumed this might have been an earlier sci-fi novel it it, it almost felt quite old-fashioned okay i didn't really give it much thought i don't think but i mean 30 years ago oh don't do that don't do that 30 years it was the the, the novella for um for this came out the same year that armageddon was released stop it stop it i don't i don't care for this i'm so old now anyway um eric heiserer yeah he adopted the novella adopted 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 it it (laughs) into his family they had to do a check first to make sure it was safe and novella safe uh, he adapted a novella, of course, into a screenplay. <laughs> Can you guess or do you know any of the other movies that he's written? 
No. Random. Okay. Bird Box. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, both have definite kind of HP Lovecraft mm. leanings. So I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if I, I just think of this. The other day I was on Reddit and sometimes people post questions in there like suggest a movie. And one mm-hmm. of them was suggest a movie where it's best to go in blind. <laughs> <laughs> see what they did there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Heiser, he also wrote Lights Out. Which one was Lights? It's the one where it's dark a bit. <laughs> is that no? That is that not the David F. Sandberg movie where there's a demon? Well, that lives yeah, in- but I I was under the assumption that was based on his own short film. Yes, but I imagine that Heiser look. Oh right, okay. it's just information I found online. Oh, lights out! Lights out was pony. I, I thought <laughs> didn't was, enjoy that. I thought it was fine. It was one of those I enjoyed the concept more than the feature. I yeah, thought I was. A bit I thought the short film was great. Incredible, short, sweet, really effective. Um, they struggled to to drag it out to full length. I think the the short is incredible. Yeah, and some of um, David Sandberg's shorts are great. There's yeah. some really fun ones. If you go on YouTube and search his short movies, they're great. And he's got a really he's good a channel. Strange man as well. Yeah, <laughs> I've like got him. a lot of time for him. He's great. Sticking with the Heiser thing, Final mm-hmm. Destination Five. Seriously? Yeah, random. Five. Mm-hmm. How strange. A Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. In 2010, no. Jack, was it Jackie L. Haley that played? Jackie L. Haley was uh, Kruger, yeah. Fred Kruger, yeah. Um, wow, not that good. was um, that was terrible, yeah. No, the thing, 2011. Um, okay. <laughs> shall I go? Shall, shall I come back in five minutes? <laughs> I'm not going to go off on a diatribe. I I don't hate that film like you might expect me to. Um, I will preface this by saying that The Thing is probably, if I was pushed to have to name my one favorite film of all time, it would be The Thing. Mm. And so the idea of a prequel, I was not thrilled about it. Spoiler. Is it? I haven't seen it the whole way through. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, it's fairly mediocre, but I liked some of the stuff that they did. I hated that they did practical effects and CGI'd over the top of it. I think that was absolutely pointless mm. and a real disservice to the practical effects team. But I did like some of the the details. I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, you know what? It's fine. That's kind of the overriding yeah. opinion I've heard online. It's from okay. People. Yeah, but I can't really have an opinion because, as I say, I've not really seen it the whole way through. Um, he also wrote Bloodshot, which I never saw. Oh no, that- is that the Vin Diesel one? Yeah. Yeah, that looked terrible. I, I don't think I've seen a Vin Diesel movie, What Isn't a Fast and Furious, since 2005. Um, no, probably not. His best movie was probably Boiler Room. Or Pitch Black. Oh, Pitch Black. Yeah, yeah. of course, of course. Well, I do really like Boiler Room, but it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. That, that might not hold up. I'd have to revisit that. <laughs> Corporate Greed? Yep. We can we can shoehorn that in yeah. somehow. Director of photography was Bradford Young. I don't know that name. What's he done? I haven't written that down. Okay. <laughs> Forget I asked. That'll be in our companion show. <laughs> Stop. So I, I mentioned earlier, yeah, I did feel that um, I was missing Roger Deakins with this, but he's such a master and his films are so visually appealing and mm-hmm. just look amazing that, I just missed him in this and because he's got such a good relationship with Villeneuve as well. I think apparently um, I did hear Villeneuve talking about this and apparently him and 
Deakins had read the scripts for Sicario and Arrival, mm-hmm. and they liked them both. They made Sicario together, but ultimately Deakins could only do one of them. He was committed to work with Angelina Jolie, who was directing Unbroken, which I haven't oh, seen. Oh, the one with Jack O'Connell. Yeah, that sounds it was uh, It was all right. Okay. No, I haven't seen it, but that's the story behind that. <laughs> Cast-wise, Amy Adams. Yep. 61 movies listed on Letterboxd, and I'm going to name every single one. No, you're not. I know you're a big Amy Adams fan. I do like Amy Adams. I think she's definitely one of the better actors that are working today. And she she's one of those as well that walks the line between big commercial movies and smaller indie and also mid, mid-size. Yeah, that's true. Um... Drop Dead Gorgeous was her first film. It was. She looks so fresh-faced. She's adorable in that film. What remind me what the that's about? Is that the beauty pageant? One? It is. Yeah, it's the um, Kirsten Dunst. It's the mockumentary, basically. Right. I own it on VHS. We should revisit. Uh, we've watched it together within the last couple of years. Yeah. I love it. It was really underappreciated when it was released. I think it was misunderstood by a lot of people, but there's a big cult following around it these days. So I remember being a teenager when that was released and it being advertised on Sky, box office, whatever it was, Mm pay five quid to rent a movie um, before streaming platforms existed. (laughs) Yeah. And it was very much marketed to like a rom-com oh, so, consuming audience. So misrepresented. It's got far more in common with the Christopher Guest mockumentaries than like the average teen film. Yeah. For sure. Cruel Intentions 2 she was in apparently. Oh God. I don't know if I've seen that. I don't think I have. Catch Me If You Can. Oh, okay. I've only seen that the once. I don't think I knew who she was at the time. The Fighter. Yep. The Master. Oh, great film. Speaking of PTA again. Definitely not about Scientology. (laughs) It's definitely Mm -hmm. not. We've changed the name, see? (laughs) Uh, Obviously, Man of Steel. Yeah. Probably my least favourite of her work because there's not much room for character um, development, I don't think. I think she's a very strong presence in it, but she doesn't get much to do. No. Uh, Yeah, that's my biggest complaint with it. Well cast, I think, because yeah. she's a very good actor. She's very good at what she does. So you need, if you've not got much on the page, you, you need someone like that, I think, to really make them stand out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but a but, bit, bit of a thankless role, though. She was in Her, apparently, I've written down, but I don't remember Her in Her. I don't. American Hustle. Uh, I didn't really care for that uh, one. I thought that was rubbish. <laughs> Vice. Okay. Nocturnal Animals. Oh, Nocturnal Animals is great. Is it? Yeah. I haven't seen that. Really good film. Okay. Um, so I've just got 57 more films to <laughs> name. No, let's move on. Um, the other person in this is Jeremy Renner. Oh, the way you said that. Jeremy Renner plays Ian. He does. And he, we're meant to buy him as a theoretical physicist because he wears tiny spectacles. <laughs> just tiny little glasses hanging off of his nose. He puts them on and you go, scientist. Yeah. You sound incredulous. I will talk about this, but that's my least favourite thing about this movie is Ian. Okay. I think he's a bit of a tool. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And it's Jeremy Renner. But he's a weird one, Renner, because I love The Hurt Locker. I think it's Mm. an incredible movie. And And he's brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. Never better, in my opinion. That Mm -hmm. was the peak, Renner. 28 Weeks Later, which I think is a very solid sequel to that 
classic zombie movie. Um, obviously, Hawkeye, all of the Hawkeyes, he's just doing his Hawkeye thing, being all quiet <laughs> people and doing a quip. Uh, Mission Impossible 4 and 5. Oh, yeah. He was all right. He, he was, he's he was quite forgettable in those, he's, wasn't he? He was kind of fun. He had some okay lines, but yeah, a little forgettable. Yeah. And he didn't come back because he probably was sulking that Tom Cruise wanted to carry on making <laughs> Mission Impossible movies until he was 112. Um, the t- I, I do believe he'll he'll live that long. Uh, I, yeah, I know you're joking, but <laughs> well, I, I heard that he signed a billion-year contract for that role. So, Has he? <laughs> yeah. um, the town. We're forgetting the town. I love the town. Great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Serviceable Boston accent. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Wind River wasn't bad. Wind River was great. Wind River was yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. He he did some really interesting stuff earlier on in his career as well, like. Um, he was in a film called Neo Ned where he played like a Nazi skinhead, basically, mm. which was, I, it's not the best film and it's not the most sensitive portrayal, but it was interesting for okay. sure. He played Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer is one that I forgot about. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he had an interesting early career. Okay. More so than the the latter half, I think. Well, I think the thing that he's probably most well known for these days is of course the Jeremy Renner app. Oh, no. Oh, God. I've forgotten all about that. Yeah, the app that was so bad and such an obvious cash grab that he cancelled it because of the relentless trolling. I mean, <laughs> come on. You deserve to be trolled if you ask. Oh, yeah. 100%. I, I still think that it's just someone that was close to him that convinced him it was a good idea and he went <laughs> along with it. But they were lying. It was so ill-informed. It was, but I'm so glad that it exists. But now whenever I see him, that's the first thing that I think of. See, I think of his really cringe music career. What? Oh, yeah. Like, not cringe he... in the realm of Vin Diesel. I was going to say Vin Diesel it. <laughs> no, no, not that bad. He can actually sing, but it was pretty bad. Oh, 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 this is ringing bells. I just uh, <laughs> dribbled on myself. <laughs> You've never been more attractive to me. <laughs> oh my god! Um, I feel like Bill Duke. It's so warm in this it room. Is. I'm sweating yeah. buckets. We are recreating Predator yeah. right now. <laughs> Turn around. Um, oh my god! Yeah, what we're we talking about, Jeremy, Jeremy Renner. Renner. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're about ready to move on from Renner. Music I think. career, but no, isn't he like a country and western or rock guy or something? It, yeah, like an alt rock. Oh, it's just mm. so cringe, though. Okay, Forrest Whitaker is in this movie. I think this is one of my favourite Forrest Whitaker performances because he definitely has a tendency to chew scenery. But mm. he was great in this. He was quite understated for him. Interesting. Yeah. Do you not agree? I think well, I think he's great. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's got much to do on a page. But no, I, he doesn't. He, but he could... He. Mm, there's a number of people who could have done that role just as well. I think I think that he's very good. I do think he brings something else to the role that someone else might not have brought. But um, but yeah, I just don't. I think his role was a little underdeveloped. Okay. However, it's not his movie, so I'm not that bothered by it. But he was great. Obviously, he was in the wonderful Battlefield Earth. So <laughs> if that's all he did, um, I could sleep happy. Michael Stolberg. Yeah. Call me by your name. Is is the guy that does this the speech, right? Mm-hmm. God, we've spent twenty minutes on the preamble. We better get into Let's get it. Let's get into the movie. So obviously, it, this starts at the end. It starts with us being introduced <laughs> to Amy Adams' character Louise Banks. Yeah, and she is raising a child who gets sick and dies. Yes. 
we don't know if it's the first time you're watching it. I guess you would assume that it's a flashback. I see. I didn't. I think that I had an idea that it might be a flash forward, just because I kind of expect the unexpected sometimes with these films. I didn't know what to expect, okay. so I kind of went into it expecting a linear because I didn't know it's going to be about like the p- fucking paradox of time and all of that. Like, mm. I'm not going to pretend that I understand or have a, d- a decent grasp on any of that scientific shit. My brain doesn't work that way, so you might have to give me some grace this episode <laughs> and explain some shit to me. But I, I think I just went into it expecting more of a linear narrative. So, and and I think they play it that way on purpose. I think it's played like a flashback. It's even kind no, of- No, no, I disagree. Oh, right. I'm disagreeing with you. I, okay, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm disagreeing with you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. That's well, how no. arguments work on the internet, isn't it? Mm, sure. I disagree. So do I. Bye. <laughs> but I thought of it as this thing that, this tragic thing that had happened- and that kind of informed her character going forward. That's what it felt like on first watch. So you thought it was a flashback? No. <laughs> you thought it was a flash forward? I, I thought it was happening. I thought I thought we were introduced to this woman. She had mm-hmm. a kid. The kid died. Yeah. And that, that informed her character because she was kind of a bit of a recluse. Oh, she I was see. single. You know, some of that made sense to me. And I thought like she took on this job when Forrest Whitaker comes to see her after the aliens have not quite landed, (laughs) come close to landing on earth. So I thought maybe, oh, she's lost her kid. She's got nothing else to lose. So of course she'll go and do the job. Okay. So in your mind then it started at the beginning and ended at the end. Obviously things get revealed throughout the movie. Yeah, of course. Okay. Fair enough. So for me, it kind of played like it was trying to make you think it was a flashback. Right. You're smarter than me then. Uh, That's... (laughs) But it wasn't. It was a flash forward, but yeah. it could have been a flashback depending on how you perceive time. <laughs> oh, God. This, this. If you remember the future, is it a flashback or a flash forward? Anyway. I'm already confused. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but we learn that she loses the child mm-hmm. and you're unsure of the kind of the, the timeline of events when while you're watching it for the first time. She's a lecturer at a university mm-hmm. and there's a lot of interesting shots of her walking through the university. And then there's this big news story where all the students are distracted, turn on the news, 12 giant space eggs have landed on Earth and everyone They're goes hovering home. above it. That's interesting. They're hovering above it. They don't even touch the surface, which is something that you said earlier, mm. which is very interesting because they just turn up and sit there. They don't do anything. Well, so- little bit about that i read that the that was very much intentional obviously obviously it was intentional it's villeneuve everything's so meticulously plotted but that was kind of a reveal about the aliens themselves like they've come this great distance but they've stopped just short and they wanted the humans to want to make contact enough that they made the rest of the journey yeah which they did yeah, and it's interesting because obviously as the film goes on, the humans have a reaction to these aliens and they're yes. doing what we do. And it's what you would expect because exactly. humans are yeah. the worst. Being giant idiots. But it's very interesting that they don't do anything and don't even touch the planet. Yeah. It, it did It did make me laugh though when the students ask her to turn on the TV in the lecture hall, which she does and then proceeds to stand in front of it and block the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, from an aesthetic point of view, yeah. from a filmmaking perspective, looked great. <laughs> 
but I did think you fuck with. I do. I did really like that part though. I like that beginning because it, it's such a long time before we even see any of the news broadcasts or we see any of the ships. Like the the viewer is left in the dark mm. up until a certain point. I really like that we were kind of flying blind until about half an hour in. Well, we never even see them arrive, do we? No, we see. Amy, we're introduced to Amy Adams' character, as we've said. Mm -hmm. After the news reports, we see her leaving the university where people are panicking. They're trying to barge by and there's even like a minor car accident. But she's walking very, very slowly on her own. Mm -hmm. And it, upon rewatch, I think I've seen it four times now. Okay. But the more I see it, the more the first half makes sense to me because she seems very disconnected. Yeah. And that's her arc, isn't it? Because I think she starts the movie being a bit aloof, a bit bit disconnected. There's that scene after they arrive where she is on the phone with her mum and clearly there's a disconnection there. She says to her mum, oh, you're not watching that silly news channel, are you? They're, that channel's really- Oh, the reference to Fox News. It's got to be Fox News, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? She's definitely like <laughs> laying up some uh, Tucker Carlson in there. <laughs> But yeah, so she, in my mind, that's telling us, she, look, she's not even really very connected with her own parents. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because later on, when she learns about the technology, which we'll get to, she has to make a choice. I think her disconnection is try, her trying to avoid certain emotions in the beginning. And then she makes a choice that she can't avoid those emotions in order to feel the good ones. <laughs> yeah. This all comes part of a package, you know? Yeah. She's got a nice house, can we just say? She's got a really nice gaff. Yeah. Uh, but she, yeah, oceans, ocean, riverside, oceanside. It's gorgeous. There's some water by it and it looks really <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. Gorgeous. I would never leave that place. No. <laughs> That's why she's a recluse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then she, um, she goes back, tries to go back to work, but it's empty. There's no one there. There's also news reports saying people are panicked by water mm -hmm. and food and stuff, but no mention of anyone robbing toilet paper. <laughs> no one saw that coming, did they? No. no. Fiona definitely had a better uh, opinion of humans yeah. and what they would devolve into. Of all the things, toilet paper. I get it's that. old news now, but God, just every now and again, I think about that and I'm like, why? Anyway. Yeah. So she returns to the university on her own. No one else there. That's when our mate Forrest arrives, mm -hmm. um, Colonel Weber. Yep. And he... Plays her a recording of who we find out is the alien creatures. And he says to her, you know, would you like to come and help us try and decode what they're saying and try and communicate with them? And he's kind of playing hardball with her a little bit. He's yeah. saying like, come on, if you don't come now, you're going to lose your chance forever and we'll just get someone else. She has got some kind of clearance already because she helped out with some insurgency thing a little while ago. So I think her clearance is still valid. Yeah, there was mention of her having interpreted some Farsi for the government. Right. And I believe those sorts of clearances last either five, uh, four or five years. Okay. So rings true then. Yeah. Um, so that makes sense. And I assume that's why he's gone there. But he does uh, threaten that he can walk out and go and get someone else. And she says, oh, are you going to get Danvers? Yeah. Um, and she says to ask him what the Sanskrit translation for war is. Anyway, later on, they have another conversation and he, uh, she says, you know, did you speak to Danvers? And apparently Danvers said that the translation for war is, uh, it means an argument. Right. Okay. And Louise says, no, it's a desire for more cows, <laughs> which is a fantastic piece of dialogue because that is just, obviously she's a linguist. Mm -hmm. 
this is all about communication. This is maybe the mm. strongest or the most obvious theme. There, there's a few, like the man that fell to earth last week. There was a hundred different themes or things mm -hmm. you can think about. In this, there's a good solid five or six, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah. And the fact that communication is so important, I think that's the strongest one. Yeah. That's the thing that's running throughout that's, the whole that's thing. That's the overarching theme, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then she gets on the helicopter and that's where she meets... Uh, the scientist. The scientist, Ian, yeah. It's interesting because he's asleep when she first gets on that helicopter. Mm -hmm. And I thought nothing of it the <laughs> first three times I watched it. And the fourth time I watched it, because I, I, I did think something of it. I thought, that's weird. Is that, <laughs> was it was he acting or did he just fall asleep on set? <laughs> but, but I thought about it and I thought, actually, you know what? Because he's asleep on a helicopter and when he wakes up, Amy Adams is just sitting there kind of playing with perception of time a little bit there events are happening while you're not conscious okay uh, i just thought uh, that has to be deliberate yeah that makes more sense to me after i had general anesthetic yesterday <laughs> woke up and an hour was missing yeah because you just become conscious and, yeah. and things have suddenly happened mm -hmm. we all experience time differently when we're sleeping every single night yeah and then they proceed to go to this makeshift lab to get onto one of 12 ships and start conversing with the aliens and decoding and communicating try and figure out what they're trying to tell us okay i believe in the book there were a, i think over a hundred ships oh really yeah Ooh. so they really reduced it and i'm not quite sure like we we had some differing views on this didn't we because i wasn't sure if they picked the 12 locations with the the 12 best linguists to have the best possible chance but then if they can see all of time then they must have known which one would figure it out so I think your theory about them kind of forcing maybe the 12 biggest uh, military powers to work together or the 12 countries that had history with one another and, you know, there was some feuding or some conflict in, in the past or I don't know. It's interesting, though. I, I definitely am of the opinion that they just wanted to force the humans to work together because the way that they see it from the squid's perspective, we are all children. You're just going to call them the squids. Yeah, like. The heptapods. Like, <laughs> but um, from their perspective, and they're correct, we are children, we're infants, mm -hmm. we panic and, and we fear what we don't know and we react yeah. in the way that we the humans reacted in a movie. That feels very real to me. Like that's the way that we would act. That's This could be a threat. Let's preemptively destroy it. <laughs> and they know that. And you're probably yeah. right. But because if they can in fact perceive the whole of time where and whether it's localized to each being they can mm -hmm. only see their own time throughout their own lifetime backwards that's kind of not let's not get into that yet but i do think you're right <laughs> obviously the people the heptapods that meet amy adams must know that she's going to figure it out yeah i think so they have to right yeah but i do think the 12 ships are i, I don't know it's, if it's, it just has to be relevant yeah i, I don't know if it's that it's the 12 biggest superpowers but it's certain i mean you've got a china you've got a russia you've got south Devon. america <laughs> Devon. yeah random but yeah i think you you asked me if maybe there's a military base in Devon, and yeah, i did wonder it yeah could well I be yeah. wondered if it was relevant somehow because yeah. i feel like villeneuve doesn't do anything by chance nothing nothing is accidental no. so i'm inclined to believe that there's a, a concrete reason for those choices yeah absolutely but i i think without going too much into it i think it's basically just saying come on kids you need to work together otherwise you're not going to get through it share your toys share your toys <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, because they very much know that we're very immature as a species, right? Mm-hmm. And they know we need to grow up. There's even a piece of dialogue where one of the soldiers in the base is watching like an Alex Jonesy oh, yeah. type the YouTuber. scaremongery, Shapiro, Matt Walshy kind of don't yeah. trust the others type type content. We, f- we fight at dawn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he gets sucked into it. Yeah. And he's on the phone to his partner at the time and she says, I'm very scared. I'm very afraid. The children are asking, are the monsters going to kill daddy? <laughs> and that just stuck with me because that's yeah. very purposeful saying the children. That's us. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, and then they get sucked in and obviously he tries to sabotage things later on in the movie, which mm. is, uh, yeah, it just feels very realistic i really enjoyed the design of the ship the the yeah. outside and the the inside the shell the shell yeah which is a way better name than the tic tac yeah, yeah. <laughs> the shell or, i like it a muamua that's another one okay never heard that before oh, that's the big flat thing that avi Loeb thinks is a spaceship that right for our solar system okay <laughs> Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, you watch some real fringe stuff on YouTube that I'm not familiar with. Not fringe anymore. Well, yeah, true. You're true. Yeah, um, the, you're right. The design of the ships is is very unique. Yeah, and the aliens as well. This is um, it's it's an odd one. There's not nothing else quite like this in terms of production design and the story that they're telling. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I, I really enjoyed what they did, specifically with the internal set. I, I know that Villeneuve envisioned it that way, but he couldn't figure out how the humans would approach the aliens. Mm. Um, and then somebody came up with the idea of gravity shifting. Mm. And they were like, that's really convenient. Let's go with that. <laughs> and it all worked out. But yeah. it looked great. It looks great. It's a very effective way to show you obviously we know that these characters are entering into an alien spacecraft Mm -hmm. but what better way to really show you without ian going that just happened which i fucking hated (laughs) but to show you that gravity works differently this is different this is you know this is not your granddaddy's aliens um but yeah, I, I did not care for that line. That, I don't know if that was improv or what. But No, I saw you physically cringe. Oh, it just felt very Marvel <laughs> to me. It felt it, out of place in this movie. Yeah, it didn't feel highbrow sci-fi. It felt out of place. It felt very Renner. Yeah. And I did not care for it. <laughs> no, that's fair. But uh, yeah, before we move on from this, right? Mm-hmm. They they put they parked scissor lifts with the spaceship. <laughs> oh yeah, you had an issue with this when yeah, we watched it. Yeah, because if you operate a scissor lift, right? Okay. When you're doing the um uh, the rams, the risk and method statements. I I will just like to point out, I'm nodding and smiling, but I don't even know what a scissor lift is. I'm just going with it's it. It's that platform that she stood on to get into the ship. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you're you're not allowed to operate it when there's someone on the platform because they'll probably fall off right. on even ground. So why not just park it underneath the hole? I don't get it. People have already been in there. They know where the hole is. So so why not just park it there is my point. Okay. Pedantic, but all right. right. I'm cleansed now. (laughs) And then, yeah, and then we get into the middle act of the movie, don't we, where Amy Adams is slowly starting to build a relationship with Abbott and Costello, as they name them. Yeah. I like that a lot of the methodology that the humans use in order to sort of figure out if this environment is safe for them are really archaic methods like taking the canary with them which is what people used to do in the mines 
you know, if the, if anything bad happens to the canary, it's time to vacate. Poor canary, but it, it works. Yeah. Um, so even with all this technology, they still can't come up with better ways. Like I, I found that really interesting. Yeah, it's a good way to, again, maybe is highlighting the fact that we kind of think of ourselves as the pinnacle of technology. Yeah, and- <laughs> which we are so not. We can't be. But yeah, we still rely on something as archaic as bring a bird into a into a closed space to see if it's good for humans. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really good visual visual representation of that. Hadn't thought of it that way, actually. Mm. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, I think this is my favorite act of the movie is the middle part where they're talking okay. with, with the aliens and, and figuring out. Because this is something I've never seen before. No. Either the no. aliens are inherently good mm-hmm. or they're inherently bad or they want water or, you know, or some kind of conflict. They can communicate or they can't communicate, but I don't think I've ever seen anything where they're starting from scratch and you actually see how to say hello and introduce yeah. yourself. And, and I thought that was fascinating because how- Human. Human. <laughs> and where do you start? I guess yeah. you start with human. Human. I am human. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we kind of learn that they don't communicate with sounds. The sounds mm-hmm. that they make don't have anything to do with the- um, do we know that for a fact? I mean, or did I, I think, think they, is that something they just couldn't figure out? Because I mean, it was like it was mostly like whale song, wasn't it? Yeah, like, there were a number of like real world animals that were used as the inspiration. Well, Obviously, like elephants were a big part of the physical manifestation mm. of them. Um, but yeah, whale song, which I really, really liked, because I mean, space and the ocean are often compared, aren't they, in terms of how fucking yeah. terrifying they are, how Unknown, little we know about yeah. what's down there or up there. We um, can't breathe in any of them. Yeah, so I kind of really like that parallel. Yeah. I thought that was a good good move. I think, I, I'm pretty sure in the movie they say, we don't think there's a correlation between the noises they make and, you know, the the um, the images they're producing, which is their communication. Right. I I've got a theory that they maybe they can't detect sound. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe there's something in the movie that disproves that theory. But I don't know. I had to, the thought maybe the um, the ink that they're spraying and, and creating these circle symbols mm-hmm. as their method of communication is maybe some kind of really advanced form of sign language. Maybe they could never detect sounds. So they always had to use some kind of visual way to communicate with each other. And it's just, that's the way that things kind of evolved. I mean, I didn't see any ears. No, no, <laughs> they didn't They didn't show us any ears. Lots of legs, but no ears. <laughs> so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go that they can't hear a thing. Okay. And that's canon. <laughs> but yeah, that's where we see the images, which are again, very unique, not seen anything like that before. Mm. Circles, there's no beginning, there's no end. Do you know it was a fully functioning language that they came up with? No way. Yeah, more than a hundred logograms were created and it, it, yeah, it was completely functional. They started from the ground up. Blimey. <laughs> which is insane. I hope someone got paid well for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'd looked a lot like, you know, when you have a cup of coffee and you spill a bit and then you leave it on a piece of paper. <laughs> Do you, uh, that's, that's how they came up with yeah. that, isn't it? Ooh, coffee rings. Interesting circle. There's no beginning yeah. or end or middle. <laughs> Time goes on. They get to know each other a bit. They're having a good old chinwag for, I guess, about six weeks. I could, what I could gather from dates and security yeah. footage and news and that sort of thing. I, th- I would say about six weeks. Yeah, it was quite, it was a reasonably like lengthy process, wasn't it? 
they were yeah. out there for a while. But then I feel like not being able to perceive exactly how long it took is kind of part of it. I, I would say so. But obviously, it's playing with perception of time a lot in this movie. Yeah. So whatever you can do to reinforce that is is only going to help the narrative. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so time passes and she, Amy Adams' character, Louise, is is constantly having to defend her methods, what she's doing. Yeah, they're trying to make her work faster and it's like, how? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's the linguist and and Renner is the scientist. Renner's just there. He's there. He doesn't really have much to do because like if he's the scientist and he's trying to figure out, you know, propulsion techniques and how they got the technology that they have and all of that stuff. Well, how do you even do that if you can't even communicate? So bring Renner on in three months once Amy's done some work. Anyway, what was I saying? (laughs) Sorry, I interrupted (laughs) you there. That's my fault. That's right. She's defending herself to Forrest Whitaker. And this is something that's never occurred to me either. It's made me think a lot about language and how important it is. Yeah. And I kind of have known that for the longest time. Obviously, you communicate with people and you want to be respectful. And well, some of us do. Decent people want to be respectful. You want to have a good conversation and try and say what you mean. You can't Mm -hmm. always do it because we all make missteps and lord knows my vocabulary isn't the greatest sometimes but you try your best Mm -hmm. it's not perfect but what i didn't think about is that while forrest whitaker's character is saying we need to ask ask the big questions why are they here what do they want amy adams character says well we need to know if they even know what question is yeah what what maybe they don't have any instincts or maybe they only operate on instincts so why would how would they know if they don't have an operating mode for questions to, mm-hmm. to to exist in then they wouldn't know that so we have to start with the basics do the logograms include punctuation I, well i would hope <laughs> so for your sake yeah but um it is interesting though because if a being can see the whole of their existence mm-hmm. from start to finish yeah you've got the question of free will mm-hmm. are your decisions still yours uh, have you got a choice between a b or c I mean, and this film kind of suggests not. I don't think it answers it, but it's definitely a question mark there. But, yeah. but I think if you're bringing up um, free will, then maybe they wouldn't know what a question is. Because if they don't ever have a choice yeah, in the situation- Yeah, if they know everything that's going to, and how it's going to play out, yeah. then yeah, the need for questions would be minimal, if not- Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. But um, that, that after they've been talking for a while, she- gets pushed into asking the big question probably earlier than than they should have but there's a ticking clock because it's a movie <laughs> and you know she asks why you're here and they reveal off her weapon that's, yes. what, they, that's yeah. what they say that's what the translation is but mm-hmm. it's not clear if they know what the difference between weapon tool and technology is because yep. to us weapon and tool are pretty in- interchangeable it reminded me of 2001 with the bone and yeah the, the very start the first tool is a weapon yeah. yeah yeah and then that's when humanity proper loses it yeah and they're really scared well yeah they make the worst possible assumption they, yeah. they jump to worst case scenario which a lot of people would do but it's it's fascinating because as we said they don't even touch the earth mm-hmm. they create a chamber where humans can quite happily just have a chit chat yeah. they showed no displays of violence they didn't even harm the canary no didn't harm the canary <laughs> no no um they didn't even graffiti the glass like no, there was no antisocial behavior at all like why would you jump to their here to destroy us and the fact is that if they wanted to destroy us, they could have done it without even us knowing about well, it. Well, exactly. They had they absolutely had the element of surprise on their side. Yeah. 
So if they wanted to wipe us out, they would have done that yeah. before making contact. Yeah, but it's, it's it's stupid infant humans thinking, oh, we, we can be in control if we want. No, you can't. I don't, um, I don't know if it's stupid humans. It's Do you think it's hubris, thinking that they, they're the ones in charge, that they oh. can figure it out? Or do you think it's just... Do you think it's all rooted in fear? Because um, that would be my understanding. Yeah, of my it. my gut feeling is it's rooted in fear. Yeah, uh, and that ma- might manifest as burying your head in the sand and going, "Oh yeah, we can take on the aliens." No, you can't. Or going to the lunatic fringe on YouTube. Exactly. Yeah, but the, but that's what those channels do. They play on people's fears. Yeah, and, and they the pro- other they propose that they have answers. Yeah, when they they're just as blind as the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's when we're starting to get into the third act of the movie because is it General Shang? Yeah. Who works for the Chinese military? Mm-hmm. And we learn that a few other nations will just follow whatever General Shang does. Yeah, he decides that he declares war mm-hmm. on the aliens on the basis of them saying off a weapon. Yeah. But the uh, media changes it to use weapon. Did you yes. notice? That? Yeah. And yeah. again, language. Well, that seems like an intentional misreading of it. I think so. That yeah, seems calculated. That feels like uh, name your media outlet. I'm not going to say one, but Fox News would change <laughs> it to use weapon because we'll get more fucking clicks, won't we? Yeah. If we say use weapon, let's make everyone scared and then sell everyone magic alien anti-juice or whatever. Yeah, digital outrage is huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's what sells. Yeah, and then we're heading into the final act of the movie. Yeah, there was, I mean, if we're, if we're going right to the end, there was some something that I didn't necessarily understand because obviously- we're at the point where they talk about the Sapir Wharf. Interesting. Thing. Yeah, I wrote this down. The, the, the hypothesis states that the grammatical and verbal structure of a person's language influences how they perceive the world. It emphasizes that the language either determines or influences one's thoughts. Right. So, in the trivia for this, it says at one point that all the scientific ideology used is completely accurate. And yet, when I delved a little bit deeper, it seems like the Sapir Wharf. Uh, hypothesis was misrepresented in this movie in this movie oh okay because from what i can under from my very limited understanding i did a bit of reading online please don't take my word as gospel um but from my understanding it that is only a factor with your native language the language that you are born speaking and become fluent in is what affects your perception of the world how you move through the world how you perceive everything it wouldn't necessarily work the same for a learned language okay so they do take some liberties there which i'm fine with so it's like your baseline the language that you think in that you dream in yeah right. yeah um which is fine that's that I, i'm not mad that they took some liberties there it works for the film um, but yeah at that point she she does start to dream in their language she becomes fluent in it which blows my mind because how do you even begin deciphering coffee rings? I can't even do Sudoku. Um, the thing is, the yeah, I, I don't even, I can't even spell Sudoku. So, <laughs> uh, she begins to learn the language and she begins to see her future. Yeah. So does that ignite a situation where she's learning and learning much faster and faster because she's suddenly remembering a time in the future where she knows all of the language? I guess so. I know, I know. Big brain shit, man. I mean, that's how you can explain <laughs> it because she does learn it very quickly. Yeah. But the, yeah, as uh, we learn that the technology that everyone's talking about is this language, which yeah. changes her perception. That is of the time. weapon. That's the tool. That's the weapon. That's the tool. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. And they need humans to learn this because in 3,000 years' time, they need our help. Yes. Which is not mentioned in the book, apparently. It's, okay. it's more vague. 
their their reasons for coming and sharing this information with us. But yeah, she begins to see her future and she begins to piece together or she doesn't quite believe it until the end of the movie. Yeah. But she does say to the aliens, who's this little girl? And the aliens respond, Louise sees future. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't think I realized on first watch that the scene where she's talking to General Shang at some black tie event, some gala, and she seems confused because he's saying, oh, you made the call to me. You you put this in motion. You saved us. And she looked really confused, but I hadn't realized that that was the flash forward. That was her seeing forward in time at that point and realizing, oh, fuck, this is what I have to do. Yeah. I think that's, that's maybe 18 months in the future. Yeah. I, I don't know where I've got that number from. But there was, I don't know if you noticed, there was a flag in the background with one of these symbols on. There was great. I didn't notice. On the, as part Interesting. Of the, the set decoration. Yeah. But it was quite blurry. You can see it. But yeah, I think it's some 18 months on and she is very confused. And General Shang says, I think I'm supposed to show you this, yeah. my phone number, because he says, you called me. Yeah. But I don't have your number. Well, there it is. You're, yeah. I'm showing you now so you can remember, remember it 18 months ago. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know one of the things that she says, one of the, because, Basically, something that I thought was quite a nice touch is that when she's speaking Mandarin on the phone, we don't have subtitles, Mm. which is an interesting choice, but one that makes absolute sense within the context of the film. Like we're supposed to be a bit in the dark, but apparently one of the translations was in war, there are no winners, only widows. Mm. And that's the thing that kind of clinches it. That's what apparently General Shang's wife had said to him on her deathbed. Yeah. She repeated those words. And I guess it was one of those situations where no one could have known this and that's yeah. what convinced him. Mm-hmm. He does seem to change his mind very quickly. <laughs> Go yeah. from let's kill them all to I assume, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Benevolent. But you know, good. story. Yeah. You know, and it works. It works in the narrative of the movie. And it it's, does. And it's um it's quite a quick wrap up from that point. But yeah. there's a lot of revelations in in that. I think Maybe too many would be my only criticism. I would prefer this if it was a little more ambiguous, I think. Mm-hmm. I love the middle act of this film. I think it's the strongest. Yeah. I would happily watch another 40 minutes of Louise talking to Abbott and Costello. Yeah, that was really compelling. It was great. It was so original, not seen it before. The set design as well. I think most of the budget went into that set. I mean, they must have. Yeah. I, I think I heard that Villeneuve said on an interview that just the amount of lights that they needed in that scene was insane. The um, VFX work is great. Yeah, I love the creature design. It's just so different. Mm. And I think this is a pretty great movie i have a little bit of trouble connecting with it as much as i would like to Uh, is that on an emotional level because of the i mean the start is the ending is the start is the ending um is it that bit do you think i don't don't really know i i have problem figuring out i I do love it like Mm -hmm. i think it's a really good movie and with more and more watches, I'm appreciating it more and more with mm-hmm. the craft and even the seemingly small decisions which fit in with the narrative of the movie. And just the attention to detail, like on the whiteboard, um, kind of at the midpoint, the just shit that's in the background could be anything. Mm. But of course it's relevant because it's Villeneuve. Um, it's the formula for entropy. Right. Which obviously the arrow of time, you know, all plays into this same central idea. 
and I guess proves Renner's worth and why he's there. <laughs> um, oh no, we could have got somewhere. We could have got yeah. Adam Driver as as Ian. What's his face? Um, anyone but Renner is what. Uh, is. I don't know. I don't see Adam Driver in that role. No. I think he's great. Don't get me wrong. And I would prefer somebody other than Renner, but I don't see Adam Driver. Did you know that the score in the last scene is a musical palindrome? A, a musical palindrome, you say? Yeah. I did not know that. Which I love. I loved that. How, in a way that the notes end the same way that they start, like yeah. the, the combination. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. fascinating. Because obviously they mentioned that her daughter's name, Hannah, is a palindrome. But yeah, even it goes as far as the music. I think I just figured out why Jeremy Renner was cast. Renner is a palindrome, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. No, I did not know that. And that is a very beautiful piece of music. It was, yeah. was not made for this movie, but was incorporated and used within it. Right. Think, oh, yes. I read that because yeah. it, for that reason, it wasn't eligible for an Oscar nomination. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece of music and I love it. And I think that maybe that is the reason that I have any emotional connection to it at all. Right. Obviously, music is there to do that and it's doing its job. For me, it's doing a lot of heavy lifting. I think this is fascinating and it's expertly made. And mm-hmm. I, Amy Adams is incredible. I don't know. Maybe it's a parent thing. I'm not a parent. I you can't don't like really, children. I don't, I don't want them to die. <laughs> but yeah, I do, I'm missing something. Um, the, well, all right. So the book was a little bit darker because obviously the whole, the crux of that emotional, uh, the heart of it is that she can see the future. She can see all of time laid on top of one another. And she makes the choice to couple up with Rena and have this child anyway, mm. knowing that the child's going to die, mm. which is why he leaves her. But she decides that a few years is worth it. But in the book, apparently her daughter dies at 25 and it's implied that it's in a climbing accident. So completely preventable. Yes. <laughs> and yet she still allows it to happen. So there is a definite darker tone in the book from what I've read. Yes, there is a definite switch. It's probably the right call for the movie. Well, my, so my question to you was going to be, what would you have preferred? I think the book ending. Yeah, me too. And and the reason I say that is because I think it's a more interesting ending. It's yeah. a more existential ending because I think you're saying you're accepting whatever life throws at you and you're not going to interfere with it because you can't really change it. Well, okay. that's suggestive that we don't have free will then. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's um, not think about that too much. Yeah. No, it's too hot in here. I'm dripping. <laughs> this will spiral into depression very quickly. Um, but yeah, there's so much about this film that I love. Like the heptapod ships, the the what do they call them? The shell that's based on an asteroid called 15 Eunomia. Okay. There's a few references to Carl Sagan and mm. Contact in particular, which I know you're a fan of. Carl Sagan, yeah, he wrote that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Renner quotes him at one point as a location that's mentioned in his work that was visited in this mm. film. Like, there's, there's a lot of nods going on that would normally like fly under the radar unless you know what you're talking about. So it, it's just put together so beautifully and yeah. so carefully crafted that... I mean, you've already said, like, the, the craft involved is, we're not worthy. Yeah. Wayne's World, I'm bowing. Yeah. <laughs> we are not worthy, Villeneuve. Also, the uh, the siren from The Purge is used. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. The very same? Yeah, the exact oh, wow. same siren. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, it's a incredible movie. I don't know how many times we need to say it. I just am lacking that little bit of emotional connection to it. And, you know, I think I enjoy Interstellar. I have way easier time connecting with that. It's funny because I was going to say this at one point. I know you love that movie. I prefer this one. I, I prefer can, Arrival. I can see that. Interstellar is not for everybody. It's, I, I prefer the... I, know, I think it's a good comparison because the ending of that movie. Maybe maybe let's not spoil it. But there's no. something in, in the third act of that which a lot of people have a problem with. But I think it's a very good visual representation of a concept that we really cannot grasp. And I agree. I think within that is the similarity to the way that Heptapods and now Louise experiences time. I find, I find it curious that you connect emotionally better with Interstellar because I find that to be way more schmaltzy. Yeah. I, far I, more sentimental. It, it, yes, I agree. I, and I can't explain it. No, that surprises me. <laughs> I can't explain it. You can't always explain why you feel the way you feel. No, of course Sarah. not. You've just got to accept that that's how you feel. <laughs> okay. And just go with it for, for, for rougher, for smoother... Um, you just have to accept it and embrace life. All right, all cheers, Dr. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought about Interstellar a fair amount. I thought a, a mm. fair amount about The Man That Fell to Earth, the movie we spoke about last week. Yeah, Except- it's funny that we programmed these back to back because that was yeah. they, they weren't things I was thinking about when we came up with the structure of the season. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess any sci-fi movie now is, has got a lot to owe to uh, 2001. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly, again, with the final kind of 10 or 15 minutes of that movie and what happens there. Um, Gattaca, I feel like this has a lot tonally in common with Gattaca. Not, not, it's, that's a completely different movie. It's a science fiction movie. But the way that it's shot and the use of music is very similar, I find. And it's okay. been probably 15 years since I've watched Gattaca. It's been longer than that for it's, me. I've only seen it once. It's due a rewatch, but I love it. Okay. Um, but yeah, from what I remember, it's similar visually and tonally. What else? Have we, memento use of time. Yeah. You know, yeah. clever use of time, um, non-linear way of telling the story there. This is just your way of shoehorning Nolan in <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. every episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's 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 really it with other movies that I was thinking about. I wrote I wrote down everything everywhere all at the same time, but um <laughs> That's not what it's called. <laughs> uh, but but only in the sense that if you can see your future and your past, does that mean that you can see every possibility? Because if you don't have free will, then you can only see one possibility. But if you do have free will and you can see your past and future, then you can potentially see every every kind I mean, of way oh your life God. could go. That just brings so much more into I know, the conversation. I know. Butterfly effect. I just, yeah. I'm too hot for this. <laughs> but it, it's definitely one of those that you can pick it apart and talk yeah. about it for ages, or you can just take it on face value and enjoy it as well. And that's mm-hmm. the mark of a really great movie, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. And it just looks stunning. And unlike yeah. anything else, because it is really dreary, it's very foggy and wet and gross. Misty. Grey. Yeah. But it still looks gorgeous. Yeah. Cool. Agreed. I'm really, really looking forward to giving my brain a rest next week. Yes. Yes, me too. I'm giving this four egg-shaped spaceships out of five. Four shells. Yeah, four shells. I, I think my second viewing took it up to a four and a half. Okay. You see, I was at a three. Oh, wow. You, thought, you three- thought this was a three-star film? It's not. <laughs> which is why I've now given it four egg-shaped spaceships out of five. <laughs> But the first time, certainly, I watched it, it was like, yeah, that was that was pretty good. 
Yeah, I think I think they, like I said before, one of my criticisms is that I think they over-explain things towards the end. I don't need everything tied up in a neat little bow. I'm fine with conjecture. And at times, maybe it felt like it was saying something a bit more profound than it really is. But then it's also not the most accessible film. So I wouldn't have wanted them to dumb it down anymore, I don't think. I do think that it, it, it explains a little bit too much I would prefer it to be a little more ambiguous. I would maybe add 40 minutes on, although this does have a really good pace to it, I think, this film. It's so breezy. It's such a quick two hours. I think so too. So maybe adding time on is not going to work, but I just was so intrigued by that middle section of the movie that I could have watched another 40 minutes of that. Mm. And also let's let's recast Ren as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) But yeah, otherwise... Fantastic, fantastic movie. Yeah. Can I I leave us on an Einstein quote? Oh, yeah. The distinction between the past, present and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. I like that. I like Einstein. Do you? Yeah. Smart. (laughs) Was he? Mm. (laughs) Hot take. Smart. Watch (laughs) watch this space. He's going to do some big things. (laughs) I guess all there is to do is announce what we're doing for the next episode. I'm going to throw it right back to you because it's one of your favourites. Starship Troopers. Yeah, this is why our brains are having a rest. Would you like to know more? Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can stay up to date with us on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok at sth underscore pod or support us on Patreon. Everything will be linked in the description.